Welcome back to the Air Force Podcast. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Trevin Cannon. On this episode, we catch up with Air Force astronaut Colonel Nick Hake, who just returned to Earth from his six-month trip to the International Space Station. If you're not familiar with the harrowing backstory of his first attempt, I'd encourage you to stop now and listen to the first podcast we did with him. It tells the story of how his first launch was aborted after a booster failed to detach during the launch. However, he was successful on the second attempt. And in this podcast, we discuss the future of space travel, what experiments he worked on while he was on the ISS, and how he got a special phone call from Brad Pitt. All this and much more. Here's our conversation. Thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast again, and welcome back to Earth. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, thank you. And I, and I, a little bird, birdie whispered in my ear. They said, uh, "Don't mess this up, or we'll uh, we'll uh, report to General Tom." <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> um, so, two hundred and three days in space. Uh, how's your body holding up from having floated around for so long? Is it difficult to do normal stuff like walking and eating? It, it, the body is in a, it's just so amazing. So on orbit, after about three months in, floating around became normal. That was my new normal. And uh, I got to tell you, when I landed immediately, you know, same day, within hours of landing, you know, they extracted me from the capsule. I stood up and almost immediately uh, was going to fall over until somebody caught me. I couldn't stand at all. My balance was completely out of whack. My my inner ear didn't know which way was up or down. And within 12 hours, I started to, you know, my inner ear started to find itself again. You know, I'm now four days later and I'm, you know, walking unassisted. I'm in doing uh, rehab in the gym, you know, a couple hours a day. And, and life is, you know, my body is returning to normal. So just to, to witness firsthand how, how the body just adapts to the things that are thrown at it has been fascinating. Wow. You received the Order of Courage, which is a Russian medal. Uh, talk a bit about why you received that. Yeah, you know, i got to say it's a, it's, it's a huge, it's, you know, it's humbling. It's a huge honor to receive that. And, uh, you know, so it relates back to the abort that happened about a year ago. Uh, you know, we're only a few days away from the uh, anniversary of that uh, launch abort that happened last October. Uh, so uh, needless to say, it's been a long year. Um, the, the, the order of courage, uh, you know, I, it is. It's only given posthumously in most cases to my understanding, right? Uh, it, in, in, it, it's not a, uh, obviously it's not a requirement. Um, but it is given for uh, professionalism uh, in in adverse situations. So uh, it, I am I am uh, honored to receive it. Uh, but you know, when it comes down to courage, you know, what I've learned is, is courage is you know what is courage? Courage is is defined by how you respond to adversity. And so I got to witness firsthand the the lessons in courage uh, you know from my commander. Alexei Chinin, who was sitting right beside me while that uh, abort happened. I, I got to witness the courage of all the trainers and operators that sprung into action that day to the search and rescue forces that, that brought me home safely to my family. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm going to wear that medal with pride for them uh, because of the courage that, that they had. 
and uh, it's 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 just truly humbling to uh, to be recognized like that. Well, and secondly, where is that going to go on your ribbon rack? I'm curious. <laughs> I am hoping there's someone in the Pentagon with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll find out. Um, in in the last podcast, you said there'd be about 150 experiments you'd be working on. Um, what ended up being your favorites? Oh, it's it's tough to pick favorites, right? So there's so many cool different things that we did up there. Uh, some of them were materials based, so taking pieces of glass and extruding fiber optics. And, you know, being able to do it at a quality that far exceeds what you can do on the ground. Um, and, 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 you know, and it's not just being able to do that on orbit that's cool, but it's the impact that it might have. So being able to do it at a, at a really affordable rate so that it could dramatically decrease the, the cost to provide high bandwidth uh, telecommunications to people on the ground, uh, you know, to, to spread connectivity. Uh, we messed around with uh, different formulations uh, for rubbers that are used in tires uh, to try to make them more efficient so that they last longer and, and, and increase fuel, fuel economy. So, you know, trying to reduce the impact that cars have on the environment. Uh, you know, those are materials things. There's medicine things where we're looking at, at just fundamental processes within the body that help us understand Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and, and cancer and how we might develop different treatments to, to counteract those. Uh, there's so many things that we're doing up there to understand ourselves and the world around us and, and the potential for the benefit of humanity. Is just, it just uh, it, when you sit back and think about it all, it kind of blows you away. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not the the you know the wicked smart researcher that is is the one making the breakthroughs i'm up there collecting the data for them and uh, it's a privilege to be able to be involved in all those different uh investigations collecting that data and getting it back down to the ground now one of them i saw somewhere about 3d printing uh, human organs was that among them absolutely uh i never thought i would be loading up an, an ink printer uh with tissues or cells for ink uh, but but loading that up and and then watching them print away trying to to, to prove out this technology and, and and produce some samples where they're you know able to to lay down vein structures that under gravity on the ground just get squashed flat uh, but up in orbit because everything floats they can maintain their shape it's just it's just fascinating you know, I can't even conceive that I don't even I don't even have any words for that. Yeah, I mean, it's just when you think about it, okay, yeah, you know, how far away are we before we can just start producing organs in space? It, it, the, the potential for the future is just, just wide open. You perform three spacewalks during the mission, um, totaling almost 20 hours, and Alexei Ovchinin conducted just one spacewalk, lasting six hours. So either that must have been planned, or you just won a lot of paper, rock, scissors games against Alexei on who got to go outside? Well, uh, you know that that was planned, but I got to tell you, it's better to be lucky than good. And uh, <laughs> and, and I, I felt really fortunate to get each one of those spacewalks. Um, they're just it, it's a different experience, right? So I can look out the cupola, out the station windows, and I can see the Earth below, uh, but I still feel like there's a wall of windows between me and everything below. Uh, when you put on the spacesuit. 
and you're, you've got that helmet, it provides you such a wide field of view, that perspective, it, it instantly melts away and you don't feel the glass between you and, and, and space. And so you're just immersed in it. And, and being out there on the station, just kind of looking out over the earth as it glides below you, uh, you can feel yourself catapulting through, through, you know, the darkness of space going 17,000 miles an hour and, and everything that you know is just kind of coasting by and the quiet below you. Uh, it's just this overwhelming wave of, of emotions and perspective and change in perspective. It's just, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's amazing. I mean, do they account for that? Does NASA account for that to be, to, because we as humans, we're not really meant to do that. So do they give you kind of like 20 minute window to just sit up there and look out for a, for a minute to process it? Yeah. You know, so on your first spacewalk, they do, they give you uh, a handful of minutes to begin with to really adapt to what it's like to move out uh, in the spacesuit. Because the only place that we really put it together is on orbit. We do lots of part task trainers on the ground where we're either weightless in the pool or, or we're working with the high fidelity equipment, or but we don't do it all together. And, and on orbit, the first place it comes together. So they give us a handful of minutes before, but uh, you know we're pretty focused. Uh, it's a high risk activity, and so we're out there to get the job done. Uh, and if you can find the bandwidth to be able to 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 get the job done and take in the perspective, um, then you know that's that's where it's at. And, and the, I got to tell you, the first spacewalk I did. I was all focused on the task and you know, the blinders were pretty much on and it was, let's get the job done and get back inside. And it's only, you know, it's like flying a jet. Uh, as you get more comfortable, as you get more familiar, your aperture opens up and you start to take in more of the surroundings around you. And, uh, you know, that third EVA, uh, was just such an amazing experience because I was able to take in so much more of what was going on around me. You got to install some fresh batteries on the station solar power system, and you installed, I guess, two international docking adapters uh, for the SpaceX Crew Dragon and the Boeing CST-100. This is for commercial crew spacecraft, so it's really, it's on its way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, putting in that second uh, port for the commercial crew uh, spacecraft, it was kind of a sweet treat for me because I know that that's returning launch to the U S and, and I know that there are going to be airmen working, uh, supporting those launches and, uh, being an airman, uh, providing, uh, some, uh, putting some equipment in place to help facilitate that happening. Airmen launching airmen. It's a, uh, it's a pretty cool uh, thing to do. Uh, so, uh, I'm, uh, I was pretty proud to be able to do that. And, and I look forward to, uh, being able to, to get around and, and thanking everybody for all that they did. Because, you know, it, part of the thing that, you know, over the course of the mission, there is so much support. The, the team is gigantic. Uh, the, the NASA team is huge. And then you add on all of our international partners, whether, you know, out of control centers in Germany or, or Montreal or Scuba in Japan or, or in Star City, Russia. You know, the control centers are all across the globe. And, and the part that doesn't always get mentioned, but is near and dear to my heart, is, you know, all that the Air Force has done to support the human exploration of space in terms of, of just, you know, precision navigation or weather 
or just the, the, the search and rescue effort or, or just situational awareness and helping us move or track debris and then move out of the way if we need to, uh, so much of what we do rests on the, the, you know, the shoulders and efforts of airmen who work day in and day out that you know, they make it possible. Well, you were also up there for a particularly um, special Apollo 11 anniversary for the moon landing, and you were up there. Um, so talk a little bit about how that felt um, to just be looking at the Earth while we celebrated it. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was special to be up there. I can tell you that um, even from our low perch of 250 miles above the Earth, you know, the moon is 250,000 miles away. But when you look at the the horizon of the Earth and you see the moon peak over the horizon and you see it in the distance, uh, you feel that separation from the Earth. You feel like you're on your way. And for, for whatever reason, the moon seems uh, more attainable when you look at it uh, from, from space mm-hmm. versus from the ground. And so I am super excited about the direction that we're going, the, you know, the Artemis program taking us back to the moon, uh, helping us learn what we need to to move on to Mars. Uh, I'm super excited that, you know, that it's happening now and it's, you know, it's going to be centered out of Florida and, you know, it's going to take a gigantic team just like the space station does. And, uh, and there, you know, there are going to be a lot of airmen involved in that and I'm excited to work shoulder to shoulder with them. Is it presumed that when we do begin exploration that we'll start launching from the moon? Yeah, so, you know, the, the moon right now, just in general, is, is going to be our proving ground. There are a lot of things that we need to figure out how to do to be successful on Mars. And we've been doing that on the space station for 20 years, trying to figure out how to live and work in space. And so now we need to take that to the next step and, and go back to the moon and stay there for a while and, and figure out how do we do this long term. Uh, before we take a shot at Mars, we need to test a lot of things out, and the moon is a great proving ground for that. Um, and so, you know, we've got a, the Artemis program, which is going to have a, a smaller size space station, if you will, around the moon that's going to serve as a platform for us to go down to the surface of the moon and, uh, and work on those uh, tactics and techniques, if you will, on how to explore the surface of another planet. And, uh, and it'll provide us that base to be able to go back and forth uh, from the surface of the moon and then also be that hub where we can uh, resupply from the Earth. Uh, so it's, uh, it's an exciting time. And uh, for anybody that's interested in space, anybody that wants to get involved with space, uh, this is a great time, and uh, there is room on the team for you. Speaking of interested in space, it looks like this... Um little-known actor named, uh, I think his name was Brad Pitt, uh, recently talked to you on the phone. Uh, were you getting uh, getting acting pointers from him, or what did you guys discuss? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where it was a unique opportunity for me because I just wanted to thank him because storytelling is such a powerful motivator. And I've realized that one of the challenges that I've got is telling the story of what I just did on orbit. 203 days. So what did I do? Why is it important? And it's given me a whole new appreciation for, you know, actors like him uh, who, who portray themselves in these movies that, that serve so much to inspire future generations 
to pursue their passions and to, to push boundaries and to discover and, and to just become, you know, try to achieve their own greatness. And, and so it was a unique opportunity for me to say thanks to him. And, uh, you know, he did ask me my critique of his movie. So I guess I got to be the, uh, the armchair, uh, critic, uh, movie critic for the day. <laughs> well, after a long trip, I mean, that was a, that's a pretty long time up there. Um, so after a long trip, it just sort of comes to an end when you get home or when you get where you're going. Uh, and you kind of miss being on the road or in your case, space. Are you affected by wanting to be back up there or any plans to go back up or will you just have to buy a commercial ticket up there just like everyone else? Yeah, so first off, the mission doesn't end at landing. And so that's, that's something that, uh, that I think that everybody needs to understand. Uh, the mission doesn't stop at landing because, you know, now I've, I've been on the ground four days. I've done four days straight of, of medical tests. Uh, we're on the subject. So we collected before mission uh, data, and now they're collecting their data after mission, and they're still trying to glean the effects of spaceflight and to learn more. And so this mission is going to continue on, and they'll collect data for the next six months on me. Uh, and, and so I'm still involved in all of that, uh, as well as uh, rest and rehabilitation. And so I work with a, a trainer to try to get me back to what I was pre-flight. Uh, and so it's slow and steady progress. You know, but I got to tell you that, you know, I'm excited about the direction that the space program is taking. Uh, I'm excited about the, the potential for me to be a part of that in whatever shape that may take. And uh, it's just a, it's a great time. Uh, and uh, once I get my batteries recharged a little bit, uh, I can't wait to, uh, to get back at it and help us uh, push deeper uh, into the unknown. Well, I mean, speaking of, te- you know, years down the road, what is what is 10 years in space? What does that look like for the Air Force? Where will we be? Yeah, wow. There are so many changes happening right now. 10 years might be a little tough. I can tell you that, you know, within five years, you're going to see people on the moon again. And that is going to be a game changer uh, in how we view our place uh, in the solar system and uh, and what the future may hold. And so just the next five years are going to be an exciting ride. Well, we hear so much about what you are prepared for. Well, this time around, what weren't you prepared for? Do you have any or recall any memories of uh, any of those instances? Looking out the window, I wasn't prepared for just the the impact that that perspective would have. I, you know, I knew, everybody told me it's a, it's a beautiful view. You can see so much. Uh, but when you look out the window at the earth gliding below, it, it opens up, it's, it's liberating for your mind. And all of a sudden, it, so many things race through your mind simultaneously. You're, you're looking at the earth and you're, you're looking at everything you know down below and, and you're trying to find little features. You know, can I find my hometown that I was, that I, you know, graduated high school from? Can I, can I find this feature? Can I find that feature? You, you're awestruck by just the, the magnitude of storms and how they, they present themselves. Or at night, you just see the entire earth covered in lightning that continues to flash like you're dragging a, a, a blanket across the carpet. And, all of these things challenge your senses, but then you start to contemplate your, your place in all of this. You know, I'm not even on the earth and I'm looking down at it. And, and so what does that mean? 
and and then you start turning your gaze toward deeper space and you see the Milky Way and all of those stars and where do we fit in all of this and so simultaneously all of these thoughts and emotions and and you just are overwhelming did you feel did you feel significant or insignificant which was more overwhelming I, so I felt like the earth was this remote island in 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 a lot of nothing right so we're out there in the vacuum of space and everything we know is right on the earth and the earth felt like this gigantic uh, living organism and i felt like you know i was a small part you know humans are a part of that organism and you know we may be infinitesimally small ourselves but i can tell you i could see the impact that we can have on the environment i can see that you know you can see cities you can see uh, crop fields and circles you can see how we've changed the landscape below us and so you know that that we have power to affect the world around us and so i think that you know like the probably the most profound sense i got out of it was this idea of stewardship and we need to be we need to acknowledge that we can make those changes and we need to take care of this really special place that we live on Thanks for listening to this edition of the Air Force Podcast. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe to hear more Air Force stories like this. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Trevin Cannon.